The reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 13, I invite your hearing of the public reading of God's word in faith and also joy, for we have the revealed word of God in scripture. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Many of us have uh, had um, the occasion to uh, move geographically and be displaced, buy another home, or to rent a new apartment, or uh, to go to a trade school or the university and to move into a dorm room. Uh, and generally, when when these things occur, we we discard uh, things from our old home and buy new things. And oftentimes, we buy new services for our new our new home. And sometimes, uh, as the case may be, we just remodel everything. And this is an important metaphor given where we are in the book of Romans because the Apostle Paul has uh, left, if you will, the doctrine of justification and is now dealing with what necessarily follows the fact that we are justified uh, based upon the righteousness of Christ alone, uh, but that uh, in the great battle in the world in which we live and with sin, God sends the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit now dwells within us, within all the sons of God. And the Spirit begins to make necessary changes. It's a very uh, important doctrine because uh, in the life of the church, this is not universally held. Recall in the history of the Protestant Reformation, one of John Calvin's uh, great enemies were the Libertines. They wanted access to the Lord table, even though their lifestyle was totally pagan. Uh, Calvin, of course, refused them. But it's very popular today, uh, perhaps just simply to open the table to everyone. No conditions whatsoever. Let's take 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and set it aside. We don't need to examine ourselves. Uh, We don't need to repent. Reading a number of years ago, a very telling advertisement of a church. Come as you are and remain as you are and we'll throw a great party celebrating who you are. Now I certainly gravitate to come as you are because that's how we come to Christ. But we do not remain as we are because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He comes to make necessary changes. And we participate necessarily in rejecting a life of sin. It's the essence of the text before us this morning. Theologically, the necessity of sanctification uh, is in part a manifestation of the unity of the Trinity. Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Son to pay for the guilt and penalty of our sin. Of course, the doctrine of justification. Uh, We had no part in it whatsoever other than receiving the benefits by faith. As you know, we are justified 
by Christ alone and his righteousness alone. Great rally cry of the Protestant Reformation. By faith alone and Christ alone. And the Spirit necessarily, necessarily comes to deal with the stain and pollution of our sin as the divine agent to help us in our struggle with sin. Great provision of the grace of God. Penalty paid, but the battle goes on, and so the Father sends the Spirit. Now, this reality is intensified when we understand that in the Old Testament, uh, God lived in the temple, the Temple of Solomon, the tabernacle constructed by uh, Moses and the workmen. In the New Testament, as you know, we are the temple. He lives within us and begins to make changes. And the change in theological terms is the doctrine of sanctification that necessarily follows our justification. And unlike justification, we participate as evidence that the Spirit is within us. Uh, one great passage to this end is Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Paul says to the church, Work out your salvation, fear and trembling, because it is God who is at work in you, both the will and the work of his good pleasure. We work out, we participate in sanctification because he is working within us, changing our lives. Another great text is uh, a reference to the new creation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The radical change worked by the great Spirit of God. The doctrine of the new creation. In our text, verse 12, the necessity of sanctification is evidenced in our participation in severing our relationship with the old way of life. Well, Paul is dealing, as you know, in chapter 8 of this epistle with life in the Spirit. The Spirit has moved in. Uh, many churches uh, would contend that there is a second work of grace. As you know, we, we reject that here. There is a seamless work of grace in each member of the triune Godhead. The Spirit moves in for all those purchased by Christ and takes up residence. And the indwelling Spirit imparts life. Formerly, when we were under the old government of the world and the satanic kingdom and, of course, the flesh, we had no interest in the things of God. We were at enmity with Him. We loved serving and following the things of this world. And then something radical occurred. The Spirit regenerates us in the new birth and moves in to work a righteousness inherently our own. We are saved by an alien righteousness, namely the righteousness of Christ, but in sanctification, the Spirit of God moves in and begins to work a righteousness inherently our own. And the Spirit is the life-giving force that breaks our sense of obligation to the flesh. Again, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
the obligation has been broken. There's a couple of great texts. I'd like to look at three that uh, are expressive of this reality. Uh, if you would turn to the book of uh, Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 5, in the 24th verse. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. One of the testimonies of the Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but he who lives in me. The power of the flesh taken to the cross. Ephesians chapter 4. The Galatians passage was uh, in the past tense. In Galatians chapter, uh, pardon me, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, uh, the Apostle Paul uses three infinitives. And they speak to the result. The result of our new life in Christ. In other words, things that necessarily have occurred. Three infinitives, beginning in verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. It's been set aside. The result of our life in Christ is that way of life has been set aside. Second infinitive. Verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your not of your mind. The result of our new life in Christ is the spirit begins to renew the mind. Third infinitive, verse 24, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. When you come to Christ, you've put it on. Put it on. Your identity and association with a great Savior means that these things have occurred. The result of being identified with Christ. Last verse, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9. To lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Life in Christ and now the gift of the Spirit. In other words, because of our new identity in Christ, because of His work as the new Creator, these radical changes have occurred. Have occurred by the grace of God. The sovereign work of the Trinity in affecting the totality of our salvation, even though that it is already but not yet we await our glorification in the coming of our Savior. The so then of uh, verse 12 gives us the consequences or results generated by the indwelling Spirit. Outside of Christ, we were obligated to the flesh. Uh, the flesh is a reference to our corrupt and fallen nature uh, that was in rebellion against God. Uh, Douglas Moo, uh, one of the great uh, contemporary commentators in the book of Romans, adds that it is the power of the old age. The old way of life owned us before Christ. 
Our nature was corrupted. And then God saved us by his radical power. Before Christ, we knew nothing else. We loved the corruption. We chased it consciously or subconsciously. The concept of obligation speaks to the reality that it bound us over to servitude. And so the metaphor of the scripture, we were slaves of sin, bound over, shackled to serve the dominion of Satan and his fallen angel. And then God set us free by his sovereign grace. And so that obligation is severed. We no longer have to obey it. The word group of obligation is used literally of repayment of a debt, figurative referencing that our obligation is discharged by Christ. He paid it. Mind you, the great doctrine of justification. He has forgiven all of our sins. pardoned all of our sins based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. The positive reality here is that the Spirit is the enabling power. Prior to our coming to faith, we had no power. Again, we were shackled, if you will, to the oars. Satan had the drum beat. He controlled the direction of the ship. Now we've been set free. We leave the slave galley by the power of God, Son, and Spirit. The power of the flesh is broken. The Spirit will enable us to deny its residual effects in our lives. If you think about the psychology of all of this, sin is an incredibly powerful force. But now in the Spirit, we have a divine ally to walk away from it. When I was in the, uh, the Army, um, I learned fairly early on that one of the American ways of making war is to do it with allies. For example, Second World War. Did we fight alone? No, we did not. In the European theater, we fought with the aid of England and the Soviet Union. They were our allies in this incredible battle against the world and the devil and the flesh. We have the spirit. Coalition, if you will, to give us the victory. The great expression of the grace of God by Father and Son and Spirit. And so positively, by the indwelling Spirit who has moved into our hearts, we begin to engage in our new lives as evidenced by the things of the Spirit. And the necessity of sanctification comes with a warning and a truth of the divine agent to effect that separation. Verse 12, the obligation broken. Now the divine agent who enables us to affect the separation. Verse 13. If you look at the text, 
New American Standard has the word for. Uh, it's going to give us a reason. And part one of the reason is a warning. And so Paul says, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. It's a warning. If your way of life manifests that the flesh is still in control, owns you, the necessary outcome is death. It's an implicit indication that the Spirit is not indwelling. Think of it this way. We are paraded uh, in our lives with symptoms of different diseases. Oftentimes on the television, uh, I'll see a parade of symptoms, and if you have these symptoms, then you need to take uh, this medicine from this drug company. Well, the symptom that you are still controlled by the flesh is that you still love the flesh. You love going back to the old haunts and the old way of life. And by those symptoms, Paul is saying you're going to die. That if we continue to return to our old haunts and old way of life, then we are giving evidence that the Spirit is absent. He has not moved in. If radical change is not occurring and we are not leaving the slave galley, if the shackles are still on, then the great Christ has not saved us and the great Spirit has not moved in. You see, perhaps it's helpful to recognize that uh, the Apostle Paul is not omniscient. He doesn't know. He's writing to a church. He understands that there may be people in that church uh, who are still owned by the flesh, who still love their old haunts, uh, if you will, who still like reading literature that they shouldn't read or watching things that they shouldn't watch. He's just simply writing as a pastor giving a warning. Or think of the Apostle Paul, to use a different metaphor, as a physician. The physician says, Tell me the symptoms that you are undergoing. And then he writes a prescription. Paul is saying, if the symptoms of your life are the dominion of the flesh, then come to Christ. Come to Christ, who can set you free. Whether it be the metaphor of a pastor or the metaphor of a physician, uh, the point is the recognition that a life that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit begins to manifest necessary changes that the old way of life is set aside and all things are new. Think again of the text of the creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he is a he is a new creature. He has been made new by the power of God. The old has passed away. The old haunts, the old way of life, the old habits. New things have come because we're the creatures of God. We live in a new creation by the power of God. 
John Murray says that God saves us from the flesh, not in the flesh. A. A. Hodge, another well-known systematic theologian, puts it this way, you cannot take Christ for justification unless you take him for sanctification. Think of one saying to Christ, I do not want to be saved from sin. I would like to be saved in my sin. Kind of a silly question, is it not? But that is the point. When Christ saves us and the Spirit moves in, He begins to make changes. Necessary changes. I understand that they occur over time and in degree. Because the Spirit is sovereign. If you will, John 3, the wind blows where it wills. Some sails are filled with powerful, mighty winds moving at great speeds. Others, they have the wind, but perhaps moving a bit slower. Not quite so fast. That's not my point. My point is the Spirit is blowing. The Spirit moves in. The Spirit begins to make necessary changes. We're not saved to remain in our sin. We're saved from. And we move to the great majesty of a life in the Spirit, which is the entire subject of Romans chapter 8. Life in the Spirit. And we participate now with the Spirit in moving away from our old haunts and the old way of life. And part of that participation is rejecting a life of sin. Rejecting it. It's the work of the Spirit. Uh, I would remind you it's the necessary work of the Spirit. We've learned previously that the Spirit moves in our lives. What's He going to do? He's going to make changes. Just like you, when you buy a new home or move to a new apartment or move to a new dorm, you begin to make changes. Spirit does exactly the same. And part of those changes are rejecting participation in a life of sin. Now, I did not say uh, anything about perfection. I just said that the battle is engaged. And to this great battle... We have the alliance and coalition of God Himself. It's coalition warfare. And thank God that it is. Because absent the Spirit, we would lose. It's a great promise of God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The great reality that the Spirit moves in. I would remind you of verses that we looked at very quickly um, last, uh, last week, uh, expressing our identity. We are the new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, but think of our identity from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Who is in you? He moves in. And he's going to remodel because you're the temple of God. As I suggested earlier in the Old Testament, he lived in Solomon's temple, tabernacle of Moses. Now it's you. 
And as I suggested several times last Sunday, he takes that which is common and ordinary and begins to make sacred as a sovereign work of the great Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. We are, Paul says, the temple of the living God. We are the reality of who we are. Our identity is manifest. And because of that, we participate with the Spirit in rejecting a life of sin because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Second half of the verse, verse 13, is the reason why this is so. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. By the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit we are doing just that because of our alliance. We're now the adopted sons of God, but we are in alliance with the Spirit. Putting to death the deeds of the body. This verb, uh, putting to death, obviously is used in a literal sense of physical death. Obviously, it's figurative here of denying the government of the flesh because it's no longer our master. And so we can and must say no to it. We can walk away from it. One of the great Reformed uh, confessional statements is the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written or instigated to be written by a German prince for his subjects. I find that so intriguing in light of our own system of government. The Heidelberg Catechism, written or instigated to be written by a politician, a prince, the spiritual welfare of his subjects. Question 89 asks, what is the dying away of the old self? The answer it is to be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. That encapsulates the theology of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13 in a theological statement. Sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. The Presbyterian divines wrote for their children, as you know, the shorter catechism. Question 35, what is sanctification? Answer, sanctification is an act of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and to live unto righteousness. That's a theological statement of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Remind you of the couple of verbs that I just recited. We are renewed because of the Spirit who now lives within us. And we are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live into righteousness because our ally in this great battle with sin is the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit of the living God. God doesn't walk away from us. He doesn't say, well, good luck, I hope you make it. My fingers are crossed. No, He ensures the victory. 
Part of the majesty of the entire chapter of Romans chapter 8 is this cascading movement to the end where Paul will announce uh, our victory, the totality of our victory in Jesus Christ. How do we come by that? Just simply by our own brilliance or good fortune or we just simply accidentally make the right decision? No. Our ally in the battle is the Spirit of the living God who takes up dwelling in our house, our lives, and lives within us. And the necessity of this sanctification is the work of the sovereign grace of God. As our justification was the work of the sovereign grace of God, so our sanctification, our renewal, over time and in degree, progressive to be sure, is the work of the sovereign grace of God. It's a picture of this. Picture of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, Romans chapter 8, and verses 12 and 13 in the book of Genesis. Turn with me, if you would, in your Old Testaments to uh, Genesis chapter 39. It's a picture. This is a biographical uh, sketch from the life of Joseph. As a man who's living out. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Uh, as you know, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, taken down into Egypt, and an officer uh, in Pharaoh's bodyguard, the captain of the bodyguard by the name of Potiphar, buys him, brings him into his home. Like any slaves, he gives him duties. And Potiphar is amazed that everything that Joseph does seemingly turns to gold. Not literally, but spiritually speaking. He prospers Potiphar in his household. He enriches Potiphar by his actions. And so what does Potiphar do? He gives him more and more. Until he virtually turns everything in his entire household over to the government of Joseph with a few exceptions. Let's look at verse 7 to 12. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said to him, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me around my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all things that he owns in my charge. With, of course, some exceptions. Potiphar's wife is one of those exceptions. Joseph knows that. He knows the theology of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Verse 9, there is no one greater in this house than I, and as he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? It came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. 
And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. He ran away from it. It's a temptation of the flesh. In the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, he said no to it. He ran away from it because of who he was in Jesus Christ, because the Spirit of God dwelt within him. I would remind you that the theology here is in a very germinal form. Think of how Joseph would have responded had he not belonged to Christ and the Spirit did not dwell within him. It's a great picture, if you will, of the church. We're to be different because the Spirit lives within us and we participate in rejecting a life of the flesh. Because in the sovereign grace of God, we have an ally in this great battle. And that ally is gracious and merciful and makes necessary changes. Turning back to Romans chapter 8, second part of verse 13. You are putting to death the deeds of the body. You will live. So we act because of our ally, the Holy Spirit. Remember the verse I quoted earlier, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. Because it is God who has worked within you both the will and the work of his good pleasure. Within you. He moves within. He makes necessary changes. We learned earlier that when you have the Son, you have the Spirit. They work in tandem. They work together. Reminded you last week, we do not catch the Spirit. He catches us. And as such, we participate in rejecting the old way of life, the old government, the old dominion. We begin, over time and in degree, to run away from it. Just like Joseph ran out of the house. A picture of Christian life. Now I, again, I, I understand the doctrine of sanctification. It occurs over time and in degree. Some run faster than others. That's not my point. The point is movement away, away from sin to please God. And that's a necessary work. And based upon the necessity of that work, we have the promise of eternal life. Secured by Christ on the cross, the change is made by the ally within all of us. So, necessary participation, we say no and we leave off. I am uh, very mindful of the fact that uh, more often than not, death is followed by a funeral. 
Paul is saying the old way is died, is crucified on the cross. We reckon the old way of life is dead by begging off. And by the power of the Spirit, we are unable to do so. The term used in, uh, oftentimes in uh, the confessional statements is to mortify the flesh. It's from that verb that we have the noun mortician. He prepares the body for funeral. For us, we were in Adam, but that's now over. We are now in Christ. What we were in Adam is no longer. We are now in Christ, and we should act accordingly. And again, I remind you that I did not suggest that this struggle was easy. I did not say that it generates perfection in this life. It's a struggle. It's a warfare. But we have an ally, the Spirit of God, who enables us to leave the old because we've set it aside in Christ and we have put on the new by the grace of God. It is true that the world and Satan will attempt to reclaim us, deceive us, trick us, tantalize us. But notice again this text. By the Spirit, you are putting death the deeds of the body. The Holy Spirit is the enabling power. He's the Spirit of life. So Paul described him in the previous text. The Spirit comes to generate life in Christ. And with Him, we will live. It's a great struggle. All the more so because of our culture. I mean, we're awash in pornography. We're awash in substance abuse. Streaming across our borders and on and on. Lawlessness, it's incredible. How can we make it? The Spirit of the living God is pledged to be our ally in the battle. Greatest coalition warfare of all time. And with Son and Spirit, we will live and we will win to be sure. The effect is to say no to the attempts to reclaim us based upon who we are in Jesus Christ. And this great ally in the Spirit of the living God who now lives within us. And thanks be to God that it is just that way. That we owe our faith to our election we owe the change in our lives to the great Spirit of God. And so we continue to worship Him continually. Because apart from Him and His work of sovereign grace, we would be marked for eternal death and destruction. And we would lose the struggle. We can't lose. We will not lose. Christ doesn't lose. The Spirit doesn't lose. And so, allied with Him, we have the victory from the triune God. And thanks be to Him that it is just that way.